What do you think heaven will be like? I, I find that way too many people have this uh, false, even unbiblical view of what heaven will be. You know, they just picture themselves sort of sitting on a cloud, uh, maybe singing in a choir. But as we're going to see in our passage today, that one of the ways that Jesus describes heaven is as a great banquet feast. This is actually a fairly common description, uh, actually all throughout the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. Uh, The book of Revelation describes it as the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's Jesus. Uh, Even Jesus' first miracle, sort of inaugurating his kingdom, was turning water into wine at a wedding feast. Jesus wants you to know that heaven is going to be a glorious party. It'll be like the best celebratory feast that you've ever been to, except like a million times better than that. It is the feast to end all hunger. It is the party to end all sadness. And yet you're going to see today that people, even though they've been invited to this incredible feast, are going to make up excuses for why they can't come. So Let's take a look in just a second here at our passage from God's Word today. We are going through the book of Luke. Uh, We're kind of in the middle of Luke chapter 14. Uh, This passage is kind of a continuation of last week's passage. So uh, if you were able to watch this last week, Jesus was at a party at a Pharisee's house. If you haven't seen that message, you can go on our website or Facebook or our app and, and kind of get caught up. If you don't have time to do that now, basically Jesus is at uh, the party at a party of a prominent Pharisee's house, and he's sort of explaining things to people, and he tells the host even, he says, listen, the next time you have a party, invite people who can't even pay you back. And then this happens. So we're on a verse 15 now of chapter 14. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, and he's going to tell a story here, a parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full." I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Okay, so this is an important parable. Jesus tells us of a certain man, he's preparing a banquet, and the invitations have already been sent out, you know, maybe days before, maybe even months before. In those days, when you plan like a big feast like that, you would let your guests know, you know, days, months in advance about the day the feast was going to happen, but you couldn't tell them the time. And besides, this is, you know, ancient culture. There are no clocks, right? And so basically the host would be, you know, with his servants, they'd be butchering the animals, getting the feast ready, and the feast was ready when it was ready. And so they'd send the servants out and they'd go and tell people like, hey, you know, you know, remember the party was today? We're ready for you. Come to the party. And so you've already RSVP'd. We know you're coming. Now it's time to 
come. And so as the parable begins, we're sort of in this in-between time. It's, it's actually pretty similar to what we're like, the time that we're in here on earth right now. You've been invited to Jesus's great feast in heaven. And what a joy that is, right? We're joyful about that. And yet, it's this in-between time, right? Because we're not there yet. And sometimes we grow antsy for it. You know, I was thinking about this just this week. I don't know if you remember, but on Tuesday, it just rained all day. And then on Wednesday morning, it was just really cloudy all morning. And I was sitting at home working in my basement. And I was just thinking, ugh, when is the sun going to come? And I'm looking out the window. I'm waiting for the sun. I'd seen the forecast, so I knew the sun was coming, but it wasn't there yet. You're just waiting in this in-between time, and that's what life is like on earth for a lot of us. But this parable is teaching us that there are people on earth that know that the great feast is coming, but when the time comes and someone comes to them and says, it's time, it's time to follow, that they're going to give an excuse and they're going to say, actually, I've changed my mind and I won't be coming at all. Now, I would say this is honestly where most Americans are. I actually think this is a perfect parable uh, for modern-day Americans. It's kind of like a bell curve. You know, a bell curve, you know, it's small on one side, and the, the bulk of people, the majority, are kind of in the middle. This is what Americans are. You know, there's a small percentage of Americans that are sort of the atheists and the agnostics, and there's, you know, a, a smaller percentage that are just the sold-out followers of Jesus Christ, but the majority of Americans kind of sit in the bell curve right in the middle. And in the middle, they, they know, and in fact, they're happy that God has invited them to this feast. They're even mildly interested in coming to the feast, but when the invitation to come and follow actually comes out, they say, uh, yeah, well, I actually just bought this piece of land, so uh, I got to go check it out. And they give their excuse to God. Well, what's underneath that particular excuse? What's underneath it is they're saying that God isn't really that important to them. Right? The man who, brought the, who bought that piece of land, he's working on building his own kingdom, not the kingdom of God. Uh, for others of us, the excuses are different. You know, take the second man. He says, well, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way. I'm, on, I'm walking this way to go, you know, try them out. In other words, he's saying, this is the way that I'm walking in my life. This is the direction that I'm going. And now you're telling me that if I want to do the right thing and I really want to follow, that I've got to go this way. See, when God calls a person to follow him, to surrender to him, for a lot of us, we feel that tug. We want to go this way, but the Lord is saying, go this way. And that is the exact point for many of us that the excuses sort of begin to fly. And they just fly. And what's underneath that excuse? Underneath that excuse is that man doesn't want to surrender to God. He doesn't want to surrender to the lordship of his authority. You know, we see this a lot, uh, even in our church. You know, uh, one example of this is I'll give an opportunity for people to stand up and accept Christ. And we'll see that people will stand up and they'll say, yes, I absolutely, I want to go to the great feast, that party in heaven, that sounds amazing, count me in, right? But then they start reading the Bible, and they start coming to church, and eventually they find out that the Lord is saying to them, you, you need to follow where I'm leading you, right? You've got to give up your old life, you've got to repent of your old ways, trust me and walk this way. 
for a lot of people, they get a few weeks in or a few months in and they go, yeah, actually, I'm going to have to go check on my oxen. Uh, I'm going to, party sounds nice and all, but I'm going to have to decline that offer after all. But my friends, be careful about making excuses to God. Like you may make your excuses to your friends about why you haven't really come to church lately or why you stopped reading your Bible or having prayer time with God and and your friends may even fall for them. But be careful about making excuses to a heart-searching God. He knows the truth that's in your heart. Or you would be better off just saying, Lord, uh, I haven't been following you lately because quite honestly, I feel like sin and the world is going to make me happier. Okay, well now you're telling the truth, okay? So now we can get somewhere. You know, some of you have gotten to this habit, you know, obviously we're in a different season right now, but really over the last year or the last two years, you maybe come to church like once a month or once every two months and you open your Bible a few times a year and you always have an excuse, right? You say, well, work is just crazy right now, so I just can't get there. And my, my kids' schedule and tournaments, it's just like crazy and I've just got so much to do around the house and on the weekends. We say, I'm just so tired. But God is not falling for your excuses. You need to tell him the truth. You need to say, God, as I look at my life over the last year, deep down inside, I just don't think that you're number one in my heart. You're not my first priority. I've been prioritizing the things of the world over you. Lord, help me with that. Forgive me, Father. Be honest with him. Don't just give him your excuses. He sees right through them. Be honest with him. Confess your sin. And he'll forgive you. And he can move in your life. Right? And he'll show you that whatever party you think the world is throwing that's going to be better than what he's throwing, it's just completely not true. You know, for others of us, we come with an excuse that looks more like the third man. Right? We say, nah, I can't. Thanks for the invite. I know I said I was going to come, but see, here's the deal. I just got married, so I'm not coming anymore. Which is kind of to say, it's like, oh, right now, Lord, I'm not really going to follow you because I've got this thing or this relationship in my life that is more immediately gratifying than what I think you can offer me. Right? Or sometimes people deep down inside under their excuses of why they're not following Jesus is I'm just kind of satisfied with what the world is offering. So deep down, I don't think that I really need you. I mean, think about these three guys with their excuses. They're not coming to the banquet because, well, they just don't think they need to. Now, I want you to notice something about the three guys in this passage. They are the rich and the happy of society. I mean, the first guy is buying land. I mean, who could do that in those days except probably the ultra-rich? You know, the second guy is buying 10 oxen. You know, most people in those days, they were just living day to day. They're living meal to meal. And it's kind of interesting. Jesus warns us repeatedly in the Gospels how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, in case you were kind of wondering in your head, I'm going to solve this dilemma because some of you are going, am I rich? I'll solve it for you right now. Yes, absolutely. 
you are rich. We need to stop sort of comparing ourselves to the people who live in mansions on Lake Minnetonka or whatever and say, I'm not rich. No, no, no. Compared to all people throughout the whole earth, throughout all of history, you are filthy rich, right? You have way more luxury and entertainment than even the kings and queens of the Middle Ages had, right? And certainly you have way more stuff than 99% of people on earth probably have right now. We are rich. And see, the rich, the educated, the powerful have always, for the last 2,000 years, had a hard time surrendering to the call to follow Jesus. And that's for a reason. That's because unlike every other, every other religion, Christianity says you can't save yourself. No matter how good you are, no matter how many riches you have, you can't save yourself. In fact, you're a miserable sinner. And unless you repent and accept Jesus' sacrifice for yourself, you'll perish. And see, too many of us were not brought up to think like that, right? We were brought up to think like, no, I am special, I am unique, I am gifted, I am successful. And see, it's that type of thinking that will be the eternal downfall of so many of us. Jesus is inviting you to the great feast for the humble. But too many of you will refuse it because you aren't convinced that you are in desperate need of it. You know, I think the very first verse of Jesus's very famous Sermon on the Mount is really helpful for us here. This is in Matthew chapter five, verse three. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means those who are humble in spirit, those who don't think that they bring much to the banquet table of God's feast, those are the ones that are gonna receive heaven. But I think if Jesus was giving this sermon to uh, modern day America, he might have said it this way, blessed are the poor in spirit and cursed are the middle class in spirit. For they are stuck in the middle. They're not rich enough to acknowledge it, and yet they're rich enough to think that they're fine on their own because of their comforts, because of their successes, their good morals that they were raised on, because of all those things, they don't truly deep down believe that they need Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus calls on them, to really follow him, to abandon themselves to Jesus. They won't. They'll have some sort of excuse and say, ah, well, no, yeah, thanks, I kind of believe, but I'm not, I'm not all in. You know, I think there are things that we need to be learning from this coronavirus season of life. You know, Americans have gone for six or seven weeks now kind of without, right? Without many of the luxuries that we're used to. We've gone without the assurance, some of you, of a paycheck or without the luxury of feeling in control like you used to. And I feel like our culture feels like this powder keg right now that might burst. And we're only six or seven weeks into this. And yet think about this, billions, not millions, billions of people all around the world live like this every day. Not having a clue what tomorrow will bring and if they'll be able to eat tomorrow, they're poor. And that's really hard. 
But the gift of poverty, I'm not saying we all, anyone should shoot for being poor, but the underlying gift in it is it often leads to being poor in spirit. You understand, you're just not even trying to look to the things of the world to give you life because you don't even have an option to get the things of this world to bring you life. And so when the poor in spirit hear the invitation to come to God's feast, so often they just readily accept it. And my friend, as God just reveals more and more to you in this season that the world cannot give you what you need, may you see this season as a blessing. Right? May you see that the world cannot make you rich in anything of significance, but Jesus can make you rich in eternal life. That the great feast is with him. It's with him now and it's with him eternally in heaven. You'll never find it in this world. And listen, you know, the rest of the passage teaches us that this invitation is for everyone. Right? Jesus is originally telling this parable to, to the Jews. They were God's chosen people from the Old Testament. And he's telling them that a whole lot of them are going to reject his offer of salvation. And so he's going to then send his servants out into the streets to reach the poor. And he says, I'm going to send them further, out, way out into the countryside. And what that means, is it means that the gospel, the good news is going to go way out of Jerusalem to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Everyone is invited. The invitation is for everyone because God wants people at the feast with his son. It's just like if I'm throwing a birthday party for one of my sons and some of their friends come back and say, no, I can't come because... I, I, I've, got, I've got a soccer game or I'm going to be out of town. Well, I'm just going to invite someone else then. I want people at the party. And God is the same way. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much you screwed up. If you feel like you're this messed up person and you've just kind of been wandering and drifting from God your whole life, he is coming to you on the side of the road today. He sent me, one of his servants, to you to give you this message. He's told me I am to compel you to come into his kingdom. And I'm just telling you today, yeah, there are a lot of church people that have said, oh yeah, I guess I don't really need to surrender to him. And they're, they're not even following. But he's saying to you, the feast is free. Come on in. Will you come on in? And you come into his kingdom by accepting his gift. And his gift was the sacrifice of his son. See, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you because we were never gonna be good enough. Someone was always gonna have to pay for our sin. And if no one pays for our sins, then we spend eternity in hell, not in heaven. But if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place, then you can have all of your sins forgiven. And Jesus will come into your life you can have this relationship with him. He will walk with you every day and guide you. And you get to start enjoying this feast and you'll enjoy the great eternal feast with Jesus Christ. And all you need to do to do that is just say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I am surrendering my life to you. And if you wanna do that for the first time today, we wanna help you with that. We wanna give you some resources. In fact, if you do that today or you just kneel by your bed tonight and you make that decision, whenever you do that, would you just let us know you can comment right here if you're watching this on Facebook. You can send us a message on Facebook. Uh, you can send us an email to welcome at renovationchurch.org. Or if it's easier for you to text, you can even text the word information to 31996. Any of those ways will get you some information to get started. And I pray that you make that decision to follow Jesus Christ.
Let me pray for just that. Lord, I pray for the people that have been wandering from you, that feel like they're just out in the streets running in the opposite direction. I pray that they hear this invitation to come to the feast with you, God, and that they accept it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.